This is Comictating, the comic book review arm of the Nerdables family of podcasts. And as always, Comictating is generously sponsored by Earth 2 Comics. Let the nerds take over! Us? Huh? Welcome everybody to another episode of Comictating. Uh, we did take last week off as a fifth week. There was no rebirth. Uh, Sebastian and I had plans to do a, a special edition, and I forgot that I took Friday off. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> so on Thursday, I was like, oh wait, this is not going to work. I took Friday off to go see John Williams in concert. Very nice. I, I did not get to go this year, but you better by get the sound, go. I went this do, year. Did he do Hook? He did. He oh, opened with Hook. So this this year. I went two years ago, and it was all John Williams. This year, um, all of a sudden, his name is... Uh, I think so, it's David Newman, who is the okay. conductor of the LA Philharmonic, did the first, like, third. Okay. And it was music from Paramount uh, pieces. So they played the theme for The Godfather. That's nice. That's nice. Like, this big overture with a lot of different Paramount films through it. Um, and they also played uh, with the scenes up the first ten minutes of Into Darkness. Because it's a very fast score as they're running out of the volcano and everything. And he was talking about the pieces in an action film. Usually all of the instruments are quote-unquote percussion instrument instruments. Because even the you know the violins and the string instruments are very doop-doop-doop-doop. Yeah, doop, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. So he was playing the whole piece. Um, so that piece. And then, yeah, John Williams came out. He played Hook first. Okay, yeah. Because uh, last time I went uh, was the year... Like two years ago, it was like the year Robin. Two years ago was the last time he did it. Yeah, it was uh, Robin Williams had just died, like yeah. maybe a month prior, and I was like, "All right, I'm going to this. Maybe he's gonna play Hook. Every time I go, he never plays Hook." No. And then, well, at least he played Hook this year. It's actually one of my favorite themes of his. Yeah, I think I think they. It's pretty set pretty early. Yeah, I'm sure it, months so. in advance they're yeah. preparing. Yeah, I went two years ago also. Also, and yeah, he did the whole. I mean, he did Jurassic Park last time. He didn't do any of the Jurassic Park music this time. Okay. Um, I think he did Raiders two years ago. He didn't do any Raiders. So this year he did Hook. He did uh, basically a medley piece from um, Force Awakens with clips from the film oh, playing. Nice. So it was a lot of different themes. So it was a lot of different pieces of music in, in that. He played Ray's theme. And then he also played uh, BFG, which nobody realized he actually did. He did do BFG, he did which was a decent movie. That just nobody, nobody on Earth saw. Nobody but on you. planet Earth saw but me. But it's it's not bad at all. But no. that marketing just no. It was it was yeah. It was something that I remember when someone first told me about it. I said, like, "Wait a minute, Steven Spielberg did a new film." Yeah, and I have no idea about it. Um, yeah, they. I it feels really weird because I knew it was him and in the trailers, but they didn't do the normal Steven yeah. Spielberg thing like Steven Spielberg is doing a Disney movie. Yeah, what? it was very weird. It was very weird. Um, no, he did good. Ray's theme. He talked about when he was asked to do episode eight. He said, I thought about it for a second. And then, you know, everyone kind of laughed. Like there was the, like, he didn't, you know, like he had a choice not to do it. it right. A break. But one of the things he said is he wanted to do it because he refuses to let anybody else write music for Ray. Sure. He sure. said he became so That's enamored nice. with the character of Ray and Daisy Ridley as an actress portraying her that he wanted, he was just doesn't want to be kind of a jerk or want to be, you know, jealous and do that. He played Harry Potter. Oh, which okay. Was cool. Um, he played, uh, you know, played the Imperial March, which he always plays. He played Superman, but he's playing a piece, and I'm listening to it, and I'm I'm there with uh, Melissa, and we're hearing it, and he's like, doo, 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 and I'm like, I know that's Empire, I think that's Hoth, that's not Hoth, this is Hoth, and you know, it's all going on in my head, and I'm just kind of like, is it, 
is it is and then all of a sudden i realized that it was the asteroid chase which is one of my favorite pieces of music he does and so nice. i got really giddy and excited and i started like it's the asteroid chase it's the asteroid chase and melissa's looking at me like are you okay i'm like wait 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 for it wait for it do you remember how cool this is and then it has that big christian the it's beautiful pieces or a piece of music and it's one of my favorites and I, it was so awesome to hear so he did that and then he ended with et which is what he always ends with E.T. is not bad at all oh, to E.T.'s end great. with a sweet soundtrack, especially with Stranger Things having come out. Yeah, because the E.T. theme has that, that great crescendo at the end, so it's kind of a, it's always a final thing. He didn't play any Raiders, he didn't play any Jurassic Parks. Every encore when it comes out, I'm like, it's gotta be Raiders, it's gotta be Jurassic Park. And then when E.T. starts playing, I'm like, aww, that's the end. Yeah, E.T. is definitely the good night song. Yeah. Although I love the, every time I go, I'm reminded of the opening to one of those Simpsons episodes where... It's Homer and Marge going to see John Williams at the Springfield Hollywood Bowl, mm-hmm. essentially. And he's like, oh, he's butchering the classics. <laughs> Every time. And he's uh, he adds, like, twinkle, twinkle, little star to the end of Star Wars. <laughs> and Homer's just upset. Ah, they're booing Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, well, I wanted to go because, you know, he's... He's still spry for his age, but oh, yeah. you never know when it's going to be the last time. Not even that, you know, oh, he's going to pass away before he does it again, because he won't do an extra, because he'll be scoring episode eight. Right. Um, so it probably won't be until 2018 that he would do it again. And even then, even if he's not passed away, it's, it's a long night. It's, you know? Yes, it's a very long amount of time. It is. It does suck to watch him go up and down. You know, it's the conductors towards the end. They'll leave as a way, like, it's, it's a sign of respect or something like that. I apologize, I don't know all the ins and outs of the tradition, but it's, like, to keep the, you know, that you're admiring the the, yeah, the, the musicians yeah, and stuff yeah. like So, at the end, he's got to walk completely off the stage into the wings and then walk all the way back and then walk back up onto the thing, onto the conductor's platform, and then walk back down and walk back. And I'm just looking, I'm like, the man is, like, 85 years old. Can't you just make that automated? Just a little. Like, the whole thing just goes, off to the side into the wings just a, and then just a moving floor like in the yeah Jetsons. yeah just it just takes them right off the right off the part but it was a lot of fun it was important for me to go um i, I really wanted to go just in case this is the last one i went two years ago that was the first time i got to see him i kept missing out on stuff like that so and now uh danny elfman's doing nightmare before christmas again this year and he says it's the final time he will do it Okay. In this live accompaniment, there's there's a like a traveling show that does it also, yes, but yes, it's they do. it's not him. Um, so he was on uh, with a lot of the local. Yeah, last year everyone went crazy because he did like an Oingo Boingo. He did Dead Man's Party, yeah. which at the Hollywood Bowl twenty five years ago. At, and if, well, if you're a 26. kid, ask ask your parents as, yeah. what Oingo Boingo is um, and what Danny. I think Elfman's... it was. I think it was a Hollywood Bowl, or one of, it was like the, it was the it was Halloween night. 25 I think years it was ago. Ho- I, I think and, it was the Hollywood that. Bowl because I went to John Williams, but I didn't do that. Yeah. So Well, I, this thing last year was the Hollywood Bowl. But, um, yeah. We went, and when he came back out, Danny Elfman comes out after the end of the movie, and they do um, they do like another version of uh, uh, the Oogie Boogie song. It's done even even more like a... a more you know, jazzy. A, yeah, more jazz one. And then... Um, he comes out and he someone hands him a guitar and you can hear kind of this you know you feel that energy through the crowd like wait a minute and he said well 25 years ago I stood right here in the final Ongo Bongo show and I said I would never ever play this song again I lied and he started playing Dead Man's Party and the nice. place went nuts and I went with Melissa last year too and Melissa was actually at that concert 25 years ago when we were in high school uh, well that's very very cool yeah actually. So she's like I, she saw I saw the last time he played it and she saw the first time he had played it in t- more than two two decades 
Awesome. So that was cool. So I really want to do that again this year too, because that's probably the final. It's it's him. It's Catherine O'Hara, uh, Paul Rubens, um, the gentleman who does play Oogie Boogie. Because they did. I went to the music of Tim Burton, uh, Danny Elfman's music for all the Tim Burton movies, which they did as an indoor concert at the Nokia Theater the okay. year before. It's two years ago, and they do a lot of Nightmare. But the gentleman that does Oogie Boogie was not there the original cast and so it was the first time he performed that in years last year at the bulls well, that's so it was awesome very cool to go yeah so that was that was my weekend very very and nice then i drove out to corona to see my quote-unquote niece and nephew uh, my best friend's kids that i haven't seen in forever so that was good times and on friday we go back to disneyland I'm going to disneyland Woo! that's a that's oh, our the whole summer that's our yes. That's our treat for having our passes blocked out. <laughs> yeah. We're in Los Angeles. Yeah, that was. But I think it's like, oh, and we're go. gonna take you to. Uh, we're gonna take you to Trader Sam's. I'm gonna go to Trader Sam's. I'm gonna get a tiki tiki cup. Yeah, they've got, got a, a tiki, got cup. tiki cup that they they actually they do a lot because they have like specialty drinks. I am not a drinker. Yeah, but, I'm not either. But they have uh, like a lot of their specialty like high end drinks all come with fancy like limited edition cups that you get to keep after yeah, you're I, done. Yeah, I had no idea this existed. Apparently yeah. there was like a whole list of stuff on one of the attachments to the link I found. Yeah, but... the one that I missed, because I'm a huge 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea fan, they had like a Nautilus oh, cup that was sort of like the Nautilus like coming out. They also have a wide range of stuff. But yeah, I saw that. I was like, that's an awesome tiki cup. Yeah, I gotta do that. that if I don't get that from Melissa before it goes away, yeah. she'll probably never talk to me again. Yeah, uh, the, the, the drinks are like, ride, so. they're like they're like 20 bucks that, or something like that, okay. and they're really, really like cool that, looking. Though. Yeah, something to get that collector's piece, especially if it's limited. Yeah, yeah, they, some they degree, rotate so. them out like, I think they make a big batch of them, and then after a couple months, they sort of like, okay, we're done on this one. And then they make whatever the new cup is going to be, and they usually have like two or three running concurrent. That's very cool. And it's great. You get to it's basically like being in like a little Hawaiian shack, and it's not so much a show, but the it is an attraction in and of itself because Mm. it'll be like a typhoon is happening, and it'll look like it's raining, and you'll hear all the sounds. That's one of the I loved the room when I was a kid because that whole that whole storm sequence was so awesome. Yeah, that's like what are they doing? You know, they're just dropping water in between the quote unquote window and the outside, and you're like, oh, this is crazy. I I do love. We went to the tiki room last year when I. I went with my friends from Australia. Her uh, her dad loves the tiki room. Everyone just kind of groaning, and I'm like, "This is cool." It's, I like that kid. That kid's awesome. Yeah, tiki room is. <laughs> His family's just like, "Why are we doing this? This Why is boring." And I'm like, Jones? "Dude, one of these one of these parrots is, is German. This is awesome." <laughs> it was fun. Why are uh, we on Big Thunder Mountain? Why yeah. do we have to sit through these amazing animatronic parrots? Yeah, it looks sing so much. I haven't seen it in twenty odd years, and. and when I went to see it last year, I was just like, "Oh my goodness!" Or earlier this year, I was like, "Wow, this is this is quite impressive. This is even better than I remember." Feat of mechanical engineering, yeah. and you want to get on a thrill ride? Well, I'm the kind of I'm the kind of guy. I still love the Jungle Book. Or the oh, jungle the cruise. the Jungle Cruise is great because I'm a pun guy. When I took Melissa the first time, and we're about halfway through the Jungle Cruise, she couldn't remember it. She hadn't gotten on it in 30 years or so. And we're about halfway through it, and she turns to me. She's like, "Now I know why you like this ride." Yeah, I'm like, it's, yes, it's all puns. This ride is awesome, and I you love get different. So much. Uh, you get different jokes for every uh, pilot. I went uh, or captain. Boat when I went captain. with you guys that first time, it came. It came back. I think I went twice. When I brought Melissa, like a month later, we rode it three times. <laughs> we rode it twice in a row, really quick, and then we rode it at night too, because it's like I haven't rode it at night. It's I, nice. And God knows how long. The spotlights, everything. So it was a lot of fun. 
But we're here to talk comics. We're here to we're talk here comics. To talk, we're we're going to stop stalling for time. Yeah, that's what we got. Where are we at? We're at oh, 11 look at that. minutes. We're 11 minutes. Good, because we only got two comics this week. Uh, we're continuing the Rebirth theme, um, and we're going with Cyborg, Rebirth Special, and the Supergirl number one. We're going to start with Cyborg. Uh, the Rebirth Special is brought to you by John Semper Jr. as the writer, Paul Pelletier as the penciler, Sandra Hope, and Tony Cordos. Wow, he sounds like he's probably Kang and Kodos' lost, long-lost brother. Inker's Guy Major as the colorist. That must be a cool name. Guy Guy Major. That's a very Guy Major. that is a very fifties name, yeah. and I'm kind of enamored with it. Especially when you flip it, I'm Major Guy. <laughs> Sounds like Again. quarterback for a football team in Middle America. Yes, uh, what's a plug? Uh, quarterback Major Guy. Uh, I think one of the one of the guys who does a lot of like the PR for Xbox, not to plug Xbox. His name is uh, Major Nelson. And it's like <laughs> another like that's kind of an awesome name. So, it's so it's so back there. So the Rebirth special kind of re- uh, reintroduces us to Victor Stone, who is Cyborg. It uh, gives you a breakdown of his history, um, what led to his creation as a cybernetic being. A recap, uh, essentially, without a lot of the elements from that New 52 Justice League, they're using a little bit of that. But I think they left it ambiguous enough that they could go back and change it a little bit. Because they do have uh, the integration of the alien technology from... Yeah. Uh, from the fourth world stuff and sort of the aftermath of what happened to him. You get to see his burned up body. They put him in the machine, but you don't see like parademons and you don't see dark side or Steppenwolf. Yeah. It's kind of, of, um, and it's not as much of the animosity between the two of them that was present very early in the Justice League. Yes. Uh, his father does work for star labs. At one point he does have to take on a, you know, basically the, the, the story goes, uh, Victor Stone's father, uh, his mother uh, contracts a rare form of cancer. So Silas Stone, his father, uh, the father and mother are doing everything they can to try and, and figure out how to to beat this disease that his mother has, um, which, of course, gives some of the family tension or whatever. But it's not presented the same way that it was in JLA, where it was really right. it was really heavy-handed here. It's a lot of much more understanding, yeah, and it's very quick. The mother's presented as a very sympathetic character. Yes, yeah. And even the father, you know, we, he's trying to save his the love of his life. Yeah, saving um, his wife. Yeah. And, and they even introduce the circumstances that created Cyborg, and they sort of do that idea of the ghost in the machine, what makes you human, and there's a lot of those concerns from a philosophical standpoint that his father is going through as essentially the creator of Cyborg. Yeah. Is this my son? Or is this just the copy of his memories put into a computer with yeah. some body parts strewn is it, around? Is it the man or is it the machine? Right. And I, I really, really enjoy that because it's an angle they don't often do with the character of Cyborg. And having that father-son relationship in this, I think, is going to be something that's very, very interesting. I like where they're going with it. And it's it's fascinating. We've also got the introduction to a new villain as well in this book. Yeah, it's... Um... The plot of the story is that this techno-organic neuro-nanotechnology creature uh, named Malware is attempting to gain access into Star Labs. So Cyborg is uh, Cyborg's basically a defense system for Star Labs, and so he's trying to stop this creature. The there's an omniscient narrator to a certain narrator. Wow, that's English. Uh, to a certain degree, that's basically saying that this is a test to try and figure out who. Uh, what Cyborg's cap- capabilities are and who he is. Is he the man? Is he the machine? Is he the meld? Um, 
So you get a lot of, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot going on, but it's all pretty even keel. Um, we do have Cyborg. There is one shot of Cyborg with the Justice League and the Parademons, so we know the new 52 piece. Yes. It's still, is, it's still is part in, of it. Yeah, part of it as well. So, yeah. Uh, Paul Pelletier is one of the guys who's been around for a long time. He's done a lot of different books. Um, it's pretty solid art. His, his techno organic beast well, I don't think it's, it's not organic anyway so I think it's just a nano like yeah nano tech beast we'll just call it that way malware is a, it's an interesting design it's got a yeah, lot of pieces yeah. to it you know and he kind of, of he kind of changes a little bit of the shape he looks like a like a troll yeah from what Lord of the Rings more than anything else but I like that he can sort of shift weapons and yeah do sort of like Borg assimilation and stuff like that yeah so it's it's it's, it's sort of that art that you know you're you're websites or whatever aren't going to go super crazy over but it's as solid as anything if you want a comic book done well with quality um family and also, aspect and also is... but also being on time you know a professional with quality paul perotier is definitely someone to uh to invest your time and money in is everything here is, is is really solid star labs looks good the characters look good yeah you know he's got a lot of heart he's yeah. got a lot of heart to it and that's i think the big focal point of Rebirth has been bringing the heart back to yeah, DC. Yeah, Cyborg's kind of an interesting thing. Is, you know, Cyborg kind of replaced Martian Manhunter on the classic JLA or Justice League team when yeah. 52 came out. Um, when Grant Morrison did his seven in the mid-90s, he did, uh, I almost said Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, uh, um, Aquaman, and then Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter had been a part of every Justice League for the most part. Right, Or at right. least the, the, the initial incarnation, incarnation of these new Justice Leagues when the books would start over or the new team would start over. Uh, John Jones would be in it. And the New 52 gives us Cyborg instead. And removing uh, him from the Teen Titans, but yeah, still hinting kind of, that he was a Teen Titan? Or is... Just sh- 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 don't, don't, don't get into that. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see in in Wally's book as uh, yes, in Titans how they as deal he's, with he's Cyborg. dealing with the fact that Cyborg would have been a part of that team. Yes, um, but they've definitely taken a character like Cyborg and made him into uh, kind of trying to give him the push into that A or A minus status. Yeah, they've tried to they've bumped up his age a bit. They they tend to skew him a little older, especially when looking at previous incarnations and even uh, versions of him like on Teen Titans Go or in the Teen Titans series where he is a teenager. Yeah. Versus this, where he kind of feels like he's a college student, more so than anybody yeah, else. Yeah, most of my exposure to Cyborg comes through that Teen Titans or Teen Titans Go. Which is amazing. So yeah, it's, it's very different, you know, the Booyah is not in this. Uh, there needs to be more Booyah. That would be I, great if there's more Booyah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting, though, because Cyborg and Teen Titans Go, and again, it's a kid's show. It's a kid's show. But, there's, but he ex- he loves who he is and accepts his, yes. his, you know, that he doesn't have limitations and he can do all these cool things and all that stuff. So you see that character versus the character that we got presented to in New 52 that kind of laments his existence as yes. the cybernetic organism. He feels like a Frankenstein um, Yeah, that had taken a while before he kind of felt comfortable with the JLA and stuff like that, or Justice League. They're not JLA. JLA was the other book uh, with the Justice League that he's on. So it's definitely, it, it is a push uh, to put Cyborg into this kind of new status. Um, They're definitely trying to raise his status in the DC universe. Yeah, and it, it'll be interesting to see how well it's received. Um, we do They do show you who the 
They show you who the mystery villain is, if not exactly tell you who he is, which is the very end. Of course, we won't give that away. But it was something that kind of threw me for a curve. We thought it was another... But I think both of us thought it was the same character. And we're not going to tell you who we think it is. Right. In case that's who you think it is. But we did think it was the same character um, at the end that our narrator is revealed to be. And when we turned the page, it was something completely different. And that kind of piqued my interest. So yeah. it's definitely yeah. something to go see in the number one that is coming, um, who this character is and what his relationship with with uh, our hero is. So again, good start. Uh, as a rebirth issue, I, th- I thought it did a good job of weaving in that origin story, that background story, without making it... Because it goes in and out, in and out, it isn't something that just kind of beats you over the head for five ish, five pages, and then all of a sudden we're back into the action. So I thought they did a good job with that as well. Yeah. No, I think it, very, very solid, very enjoyable, very family-centric, and you get a... Uh, you get a... <laughs> You get a Nerdables no prize if you can pick out all the cyborgs, androids, and robots that are in yes. this book. There is a lineup of the multitude of DC characters over the years who are either cyborgs yeah, or... Ro- robotic-ish. The, robot, part robot. Yeah, cyborgs, robots, androids. And uh, if you can if you can let us know all what all the other ones... Uh, we were, with our depth of knowledge think we picked out all of them there was one or two on there that were a little more mysterious because well, the one they didn't the... we didn't get full images of them yeah. the one, there is one there that threw us off completely and we know who the character is but why he's on the lineup is baffling to us yeah there was and then there's one that looks like i think that's the character i'm thinking of the one i pointed out up on the top yeah right hand corner but it's a different version than i'm yeah there's a lot of i think, the, I think with, there's some changes in the new 52 to that with character. the redesigns uh, aside yeah. there are a multitude of characters there and there's a uh, one that kind of gave us a head scratcher and we're intrigued yeah. i'm trying to figure out what that is too yes there's also like the like the, the shoulder left, yeah. of, of a character that we couldn't tell who it is either. see who the who the full page is yes uh so the other beginnings i guess as it were for this week is Supergirl number one. We had the uh, rebirth special a few weeks ago, and now we have the first issue of the regular series. Uh, Steve Orlando is the writer, Brian Ching is the artist, Michael Atier is the colorist, Steve Wan's the letter, and we're introduced to uh, a real quick reminder of where our Supergirl's from, where Kara Zorel. Zoro? Zoro? Yeah, Zoro. Yeah, Zoro. With the with with E L. With E L. Uh, just the L is Earth Two. Ooh, dropping some knowledge. Yeah, oh yeah, yes. there yeah. it is. It's the second page there. Uh, so you get a very quick one page recap of how you know she escaped through Argo City and has crash landed on our world recently, um, and then she's here alone on the a moon of Jupiter. And then she's trying to learn how to drive. Trying to learn how to drive a car. Yeah, and it's very much a, you know, they, they definitely have made her younger in yes. my eyes. Even in the New 52, she was she was a little bit younger, but she didn't feel like she was supposed to be this young. Yeah, they, they specifically say junior in high school. Yeah. So she is, what, 16, 17? 16, 17. So they, they, um, are, they are sort of giving you that definitive, like, no. We're going back to high school. It's not like the um, yeah. Melissa Benquist, Benoist, Benoist uh, version where she's uh, she's an adult in but, her mid twenties. Yeah, there like are that. some there are some parallels here. Um, yes, there are quite a few in, parallels. In the, so we discussed that last time. Yeah, as well. and and they still exist here. The Supergirl series that is now on CW. Um, she's working with a DEO that exists here, but instead of the. J- 
general or whoever she's dealing with on the TV series. She is dealing with Cameron Chase, who is the head of the DEO from Classic DC. Uh, she has her parents. The the Danvers are her parents, um, but they are in the TV. Yeah, the TV series. They're just people that, that yes. much like the Kents, people that found her in the comic book series. They are agents that are placed with her in order to um, you know continue her training. As it's stated here, she's only been on Earth for a couple of months. Her learning curve is quite high. Right. Uh, they mentioned that she has an accent, which is really interesting. I thought that was interesting, Something too. Something never yeah. really specified before, but yeah. I suppose if you're speaking Kryptonian... And there's a Kryptonian... great thing, I, I think, one of the things in here that, that I never really thought of, when uh, Director Chase talks to her about her powers and her control and all of these different things that she is kind of working through and... Um, you know, Car brings up, you know, Superman never had to go through this. And Director Chase brings up the great point is Superman grew up. He arrived yes. as a baby. He had years before his teenage years when he started to branch out with his powers where Kara comes to Earth or Kara comes to Earth as an adult or at least yes, a, an uh, advanced teenager. teenager. Yeah. Um, a sub-adult, if you want to talk about it in terms of of uh, the, the, philanthropy or whatever. They're, are they insects? They're, they're, oh, there's the, the dinosaurs. Stage. Yes. Well, there's, there's dinosaurs. We always talk about sub-adults and dinosaurs. Uh, if you're going from the movies, they're all born in like uh, like egg sac pods. Yeah. So they are kind of like pupas. And... Pupas. Pupa. Um, but she, she arrives in a spot where she can already... Uh, she already exhibits the powers on, on a near superman level yes but has never really learned not only the control but the culture and that's what a big part of this is is, is is learning the culture and how to fit in there are flashbacks to her time on argo city and the differences you know here she can't understand a lot of the the very simple technology is so completely alien to her because she doesn't know how to use something that's that's so small uh, that, that's so um, not small. That's, that's Out of date. primitive. Yeah, yeah, so primitive. It'd be it would be like you or me being sent back to let's let's not even go too crazy. Let's say 150 years ago. Yeah. You know, you it would be very very difficult to. I mean, I mean, you pick get, it up eventually. Get but. before electricity, and I yeah. think you and I would be so lost as to what what the heck to do. I'm like, what do you mean I have to wash my clothes by hand? Are you, are you out of your mind? Yeah. Exactly. Heck, you could just go back. You could just go back sixty years in the United States and just be like, "Oh, this like black and white television." What is what is leaded gas? Antennas? Huh? Where's my sixty-eight thousand channels? Where's the catalytic converter in this car? Yeah, I have to roll oh, down the windows. You're breathing by this hand? in. What? Um, your computers come in the size of rooms, and your programs are on punch cards. Dinosaurs are dragging their tails in your art. What? Uh, this I like the, again. The family aspect of the issue is really good. Um, Kara's kind of got. I mean, she's still got that attitude. Yes, that she kind of had in New Fifty Two, but it, it's definitely um, turned down a little bit. Her parents are are trying very hard, or her agents, if you want to call them, are trying really hard to 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 help her fit in and still retain her identity um, as a Kryptonian and everything just kind of, you know, how much of it works and how much of it doesn't. I mean, that's kind of the story through it. And then um, I won't even give away the ending where she goes, but it sets up who the villain's going to be. Yes. As we go through Brian Ching's art. Uh, Brian Ching's one of those guys that I like a lot because he has a very distinct style. He does. It's very recognizable. Yeah. It's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of lines, a lot of heart uh, or wave lines, 
Um, it's almost an exaggerated proportion to a certain degree. It kind of has that. Yeah, uh, the hands that, are kind of feel a little bit bigger. Um, the eyes are larger. Yeah. The heads are a little bit bigger. So a little like yeah. uh, disproportionate. But I think I think it works because the overall art style. Yeah. Uh, has it has a very consistent feel to it. Yeah, the clothing is kind of uh, you know, the clothing's got some weight to it. It's got some size to it. You know, it's definitely not a, a spandex crowd. Even in 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 car, I mean, car's got the big boots. She's got the the long skirt cape flowing out from behind her and yes. her, her bodice piece you know is presented fairly modestly you know it's not something that's a a, a super you know kind of a classic yeah very like know, silver age cheesecake style costume. yeah um so actually i, I like this little because it's got a it's got a design element to it you know it's and got for some something reason, that cat grant takes the train because she's going to capture these guys um cat grant is in it there's another kind of nod to the tv series that cat grant does play a role within this it seems like she will be playing a role going forward um one of my of all the superman cast uh, characters around him one of the i think one of the most underrated they they yeah one they of ones that was her, never used yeah they write her differently now than they did a long time yeah, ago she was just like a foil for lois wasn't she was she? a foil for lois but what i liked about cat grant the most that they've sort of forgotten and thrown by the wayside they give her a, a pun intended a very catty personality <laughs> Well, especially in the early days of her character, I believe Marv Wolfman created Cat uh, Grant, but the idea that Lois Lane is madly in love with Superman and kind of pushes Clark by the wayside, mm -hmm. but then you have Cat Grant who loves Clark Kent and could care less about Superman and his godlike powers. Could not care less. Yes, could not care less. I have to point that out. That's one of one of my pet peeves. I hate people saying that. It's like it's incorrect. If you could care less, that means you could care less. Yes. That means you care. Um, so that's always what made the character very fascinating. Yeah. That that Cat Grant actually liked Clark she Kent for who he yeah, is. The Clark Kent aspect. And uh, that always made so it always made the character very fascinating. Now she's a uh, very type A personality and in your face. Yeah. And more directly like a, like a parallel to to Lois's type A personality. Uh, they, she was always the entertainment reporter, and now they've sort of made her general purpose. Uh, it's yeah. like, oh, and we can't use Lois Lane in a book. We're going to use Cat editor Grant. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So she gets a she gets a bigger role. So yeah, I really like the art. This is uh, again, it's it's solid. It's good. Um, the art for me kind of puts it over the top as to a book that I would I would not mind putting in the hands of other people. Um, I think the dialogue's not too bad either. Um, they do a really good job. I mean, it's tough to write family dialogue sometimes without it coming off as really cheesy, but I think it worked out fairly well. Um, yeah, I think the only moment that kind of got me down is that the the agents who are pretending to be her uh, adoptive parents uh, are actually making a very sweet effort to make her feel more comfortable on Earth, and she really just brushes aside all their attempts. They try and learn Kryptonian. She's like... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it'll be a part of it going forward. I hope. I hope of... that that's that's something that she grows into liking because I mean, it's like, it's like, hey, they're trying. Dang it. They're well, yeah, trying. but I think I think that's part of it. Yes, because she's know, a teenager see... and teenagers are. Yeah, jokes. but also you'll see, kind of in her internal dialogue and, and her expressionism that Brian Ching brings to it that, it, I think it's almost an instantaneous recognition of that effort. And also that blowing it off is not the best thing, but I'm not exactly sure what to do here. Right. So I, I think there's something to be said for that of, of this idea that she's going to struggle with 
the fact that people do care about her you know these are not her parents this these are agents no, they are to agents. Her, but they're trying to take care of her i mean they are treating her as their adopted daughter um and and they're presented in kind of a frictionless way where you know as you said they're 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 trying there's, yes, there's they are nothing trying. you know there's nothing there that's to suggest that they're not trying um or and that even they their don't moments care. where they're actually alone and she's not around they actually seem to uh, to yeah. be putting in a genuine effort yeah and i think that's part of the reason to to kind of de-age her in a certain degree yes. is to have that yeah. that kind of or to bring her back to the parental instinct to bring her back to especially when they reintroduced her with uh, the Jeff Loeb Mike Turner run. Yeah. To sort of bring her back to that more direct like no, this is a teenager and not uh not uh a teenager who pretty much acts like an adult for a large yeah. portion of But has adult writing. responsibilities yes. at the same time. Teenagers. I can't say it without saying it like that like Sebastian from Little Mermaid. Teenagers. Oh, teenagers. Oh, teenagers. What do you want to do, man? Uh, yeah, again, another another good book. So, yeah, the, the um, there's lots of new issues of Rebirth. Uh, Batman number six is out that completes the first arc. Superman six is out, which completes the first arc, which we both uh, we both love. Haven't had a chance to read it yet. I can't wait to read it. Green Arrow six is out as well. Something else that was supposed to be out this week, too, but now I can't remember what it was. Is there another um, All-Star Batman this week? All-Star Batman is next week. Next week. Green okay. Lanterns is next week. It was supposed to be this week, but they had to they cover back. They pushed it back, and then someone with an irresponsible journalist integrity <laughs> decided to say, yeah, it's going to be in December, but we won't talk about that. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's the books for this week that we're going to cover. Next week, we'll, we'll have a new batch of Rebirth, and we might get into something else actually i want to ask you even though we're just gonna we're just gonna talk on air yes yeah do you read flintstones i make attempts at reading flintstones i i i am of two minds on flintstones and if you're stones is amazing if you're if you're listening i wanna i i wanna i wanna say pick up flintstones and read through it uh i i love classic not, flintstones it is not it is not expect. the flintstones you remember at all no especially because these are all like dc alt like they're sort of like so they're doing uh they're doing future quest which is uh, space ghost and johnny quest pretty much everything Hanna barbera that has yeah. to do with action or adventure yeah they're doing a scooby-doo book which is like scooby-doo apocalypse and they're doing this flintstones book and they're doing wacky racers and they're doing they are doing wacky racers wacky, wacky racers is like mad max on speed it is and take them as essentially else worlds because that's essentially what they've oh yeah admitted that they are they're just else worlds they're just having funs with the concept but flintstones is the strangest one because wacky races could be too wacky races could but be Flintstones, flintstones well. i think is the farthest from it's it's the farthest from, and it's also to me, it's one of the closest because the Flintstones is a cartoon. Yes, although not in a serious tone, but was a satire of modern society. Yes, and this and, idea and, of what and modern, modern sitcoms. Yeah, at the and time. modern sitcom. It, it's the Honeymooners. Yes, in, it's literally kids ask your parents what the Flintstones and the Honeymooners <laughs> is. No, ask your grandparents what the Honeymooners. Ask was. your grandparents what the Honeymooners um, is. Uh, or you can ask my parents. My parents are a little bit older. Uh, but yeah, it it uh, it was a direct almost like response to the honeymooners yes in a sense and it was satire for when you watch it as you get older it's satire for a modern society that's what this is but it's our modern society it is our, and yes. it is ta- it is ramped up to it a is, level and of it's 11. also very literal oh yeah uh, it's a it's a lot more li- in the original flintstones there were a lot of jokes that were essentially visual puns for things going on in the modern society There's of some visual puns in this there but... there are but but also there's also a little too much literality with the way that they interact with the issue three the, is amazing. the dinosaurs issue, and stuff. Issue three that comes out this week was is is amazing. Now I will check it. I'm I'm still reading it because it's not done anything 
like absolutely offensive where I go like, no, I, it's not the Flintstones. I but I'm love also, it. It's but, not, and I'm saying it right now. It's not the Flintstones. It's not the it Flintstones. Is, it, it's it's the it's the Mirror World. It's the yes. Evil Kirk. It's Bizarro. It's, whatever yes, it's you want to get. Fascinating. Give. It is a then that's the thing that really gets me. Mister Slate is like a like a huge like super Mr. rich Slate dude is bro. A terrible person. Versus he's just like a tiny like average like just angry boss in the classic cartoon. This he's like no he's yeah. like a dude bro and he has beautiful cave yeah, ladies. Wasn't it Mister Slate was kind of bad and it was. Uh, he, was, he was George Jetson's boss wasn't that bad wasn't Mr. Spacely it? wasn't Mr. Spacely Mr. Spacely was Cogsworth, very high strong Cogsley was the bad guy yes in a way Cogs- so Spacely yeah. was the kind of the good he was, he was like he the was good kinder good natured yeah. but angry little yeah. guy where and Slate like Slate I think was kind of presented as kind of a not a great person not, even in the cartoon yeah, as a foil to a certain degree more of a foil and more of like the again jokes about seen. modern day bosses yeah. for the time for the time you know and again just like uh you know, he runs a quarry. He's kind of like a bean counting boss more than anything yeah. else versus Mr. Spacely, who, you know, like really, really kind of cares about George, even though he messes things up all the time and he has to sort of put up with it. You can understand. Jetson. You can understand why Mr. Spacely is upset at George Jetson all the time, but he's willing yeah. to keep him around. George Jetson is definitely different than than Fred. I think yes. Fred is one of those. That'll be interesting Fred. to see if they actually do a Jetson's book. I don't know. I would uh, be I would I would be too. I, I feel like. A Jetsons book would require a Venture Brothers esque comical take on the Jetsons. Yeah, I think, I think it would have to be. You'd have to do it as a, as a. If you did it as a satire of the tropes of sci-fi, yes, which the Jetsons do as a sitcom as well. Yeah, to a certain degree, it's sort of like because it pushes the sci-fi that, family life. Yeah, and it pushes the the dreams of the the Jet Age, or at least what they believed in the '60s of the the potential of the Jet Age future. Jetpacks, dang it! Yeah, jetpacks and cars that fold into little briquettes that you can slide yeah. into a little cubby hole. And, it's coming. And uh, uh, I'm so yeah. I. The I'm suddenly reminded of so the Jetsons episode of uh, Harvey Birdman, where oh, yes. they go from the far off future of like 2009 back to 2012. Yeah, and there's no moving car, there's no moving floors, and uh, Elroy is killed, I believe, I because so, he yeah. can't use his legs anymore because of all the. Yeah, sidewalks. if you're listening, kids, find your older brother and ask him about Harvey Birdman. Yes, Harvey Birdman, uh, attorney from, at law, not the yes, original. Harvey not the original. Birdman. The attorney at law, which is. Brilliant in ways that you could never imagine. Brilliant, a peanut is... and early Stephen Colbert as well. Mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert. Uh, oh, who was Harvey Birdman? All of a sudden, I forgot. Go check it out. It's on Hulu. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. So, yeah, so and, 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 and check out Flintstones. Uh, this is a Flintstone comes with my recommendation because it is okay. It's 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 a book that fascinates me to no end in a good way. I think it's brilliant. And, and it's, some of the sight gags with it are great. Yes, some of the things that the the explanation in in in, uh, in issue three of uh, Fred's catchphrase will just it floors me now it's i'm like, intrigued no now it was so good it was so good i love that book so much i love that book more than i have any right to love that book but it's, I love it's a that book, book. well i can't say that i that it fascinates me and i have a deep love for it it's a book that fascinates me and i can't i can't stop reading it right now just i'm like, reading it i'm reading it here at the shop and i've already i've already put it on my list like when a trade comes out i'm buying it that's a book i want on my shelf i think it's fantastic it's, and and the only the only other one I'm reading is Future Quest. Future Quest is really fun. Future Quest is really really fun. Yeah, it keeps the tone. That's actually of that. my favorite of yeah. all of and, those. Yeah, and books. that's the, it's the most straightforward because it keeps the tone of that kind of you know late '70s early '80s cartoon, but treats itself seriously. Yeah, 
in a way, and not in a in a you know it's overly serious or it's a modern yeah. comic book. Even though it the, just, the, the it, original doesn't... shows were a little were a little they yeah. tended towards the serious side they because they were supposed towards to be it's just kind of there. Yeah, the stuff that you look. I mean, it's just this kid that's out in the swamp, and all of a sudden now he's he's with the quests on their super plane, yeah. going across the world, and you're like, when you're a kid and you see that on a cartoon, you're like, okay, I'll accept that. If you want, but to now you the... read it and go. The parents gonna let their kid fly off with the with the Quest family to go exactly. to the Sahara? What the heck's going on here? If you want to know what Venture Brothers is based on, kids, go yep. watch episodes we, oh, of yeah. Johnny Quest. Not any of the later series. I know they had like the stuff with Quest World and all that stuff. No, just go look up classic Johnny Quest. It's actually a one really of the new ones. Fun. I, I watched one of those. There was one in the nineties that did 2000s? like thousands. Yeah, that were that was pretty good. Where there was yes, it, it was interesting, but it wasn't classic. Especially well, when no. you, but. Especially because they did like, oh, we're going into Quest World, and it was like a crazy VR. Yeah, that it was, was at a time like, when a lot of shows thing. were doing like, yeah, they did the, the that early the digital, CGI yeah, VR, early CGI. But yeah, Quest World is actually the book that gets the highest recommendation of all those Hanna Barbera properties Future from me. Quest. Future Quest, Future Quest, yeah, the Future Quest one is very, is very, very good. It's very, very good. But Flintstones is is it it's operates on a very different level, and it's just kind of one of those things where you can find a concept and go, I know what I want to do. And I want to smash this concept into it. And then as you flatten it out, it does make a really good, you know, uh, tapestry when yep. you put that piece together. It's, it's, it get, it, I think it's, I think it's brilliantly written. It's, it's subtle enough to you. You kind of don't feel like they're, they're choking you with it, but it's also not so subtle that you have to really peel back layers to try and figure out what they're saying. Yeah. Uh, this, this one's. <laughs> They're at a museum for this one, or a planetarium, and it's amazing. It's amazing. The new Flintstones book feels like something that if somebody, probably Fox, were to go, we're remaking the Flintstones, I feel like it would. This would be it. Yeah. But it would just not work as an animated series. It would. No, I, th- I think. It, you have but to it read wor- it. Yes, it works as a comic book, specifically as like this. Well, also, I mean, a, a, a book is. 20 pages isn't going to translate to 22 yes, minutes. It's not going to translate at you know, all. If you're, if you're a half hour show, you're going to have to put a lot more meat into it. This is the, the Metalocalypse paradox to me. 15 minutes, Metalocalypse is, is a great satire of that kind of culture. Yes. And yes. just insane. It just insanity of celebrity and stuff like that. They went to 30 minutes and it was impossible to sustain those stories for me. It was, yes. It, for the, for it the was 30 very, minute very block. Hard. It was just like, these just aren't as good. The jokes don't hit as much. You have to try and cram more hero, more humor yeah. into it. Or something like Venture Brothers, which is very plot heavy, very character development heavy, in addition to being incredibly funny, works as a half hour show. It does. Because a lot of them are Hank and Dean are going somewhere, Brock's on a mission with, with Sphinx, and Dr. Venture is plot. trying to pick up a girl. Or you've so got, you've got like, a lot of yeah. different pieces. You've got so. a lot of stuff, lots of A stories, lots of B stories. Or you'll, yeah. you'll have an episode that's the A story is a monarch story. Yeah. Then the B story will be Sergeant Hatred or something. Yeah, so here, in terms of the Flintstones, every issue is self-contained in terms of whatever the plot is supposed yes. to be, whatever the central issue is. If any of those were to continue to another to another issue as the central piece, I don't think it would, it would work. Not, I think it would, it would not work too if it was much. more than a one shot per yeah, issue. Versus something like you know Tom King's Vision, which is very much an exploration of that AI soul uh, uh, conformity fitting in all these different things that are explored through this Vision family. You need those twelve issues and twenty pages of you know you're, yes. you're going to get two hundred and forty pages of him to try and figure out what the heck is vision. 
you know, what is he and what is his family and what is he trying to do? And then also every undertone is how we as a people treat each other. That, that first issue is absolutely brilliant yes, in terms brilliant. Of, of of how we treat each other domestically. I mean, he just sits there and agree, when he agrees with his wife, well, you really agree with me? No, I'm just saying that because I know that this is what it's is going, going to end, end the conversation. It's going to end the con- not even end the argument. I just I, I don't care about the conversation. And to be as a robot up front with that and just say, no, I'm not interested in speaking to you anymore. And I know I won't change your mind, so I'm just going to say okay and go sit in the living room it reminded or whatever. Me, reading that vision book uh, without the heavy comedy kind of reminded me of the way uh, the way the Coneheads acted. Yeah, you ever watch the old Saturday Night Live where oh, yeah. they would just be very forthright and not have to sugarcoat anything towards each other, despite the bizarre comedy of the Coneheads. But had that very bizarre family dynamic. Right? I could easily imagine Dan Aykroyd yeah. uh, going, it's like. No, I just don't want to continue the conversation mm-hmm. any further. You know, just... Conversation has ended. Yeah, and then as he uh, takes pencil shavings and puts them on top of his pizza. Yep. Oh, the Coneheads. I think we're gonna... I think we're gonna end it at the Coneheads. Yeah, I think we are. Let Sebastian take us All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. As always, it is much appreciated. And you can listen to us here on SoundCloud, on Stitcher. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Nerdables. We should be on, on iTunes also. And we should also be on iTunes as well. I think it's a requirement now. You have to be on iTunes. Ah. Or else no one's ever going to listen to you. <laughs> no, no one's ever going to listen to you again if you're not on iTunes. Well, check iTunes. Do a, do a search on iTunes. Google. Google us. We're around. The Thank Google you very much, us. guys. Thank you. Oh, my goodness.